0: So good. Little J.J, little Derek Action, Alyssa, come on, little creativity. We learn a lot about you about how you respond to that. Yeah? I know. Some people are like, "I thought this was a church." right? And other people are like, "This is why I love this place." All right. I'm in the latter group of that, just so you know. Hey, a couple I just want to do, a couple of giveaways. One is, uh, this is for Pastor David. Uh, I listened to his podcast uh, while I was on vacation, right? So good. That message that he did on the Beatitudes, if you haven't heard it, I posted it. And uh, can I just say too, we, we are just favorite of God to have him and Hannah leading our young people in this church. So this is for David. So yeah, there was... There's a, a church that's planting here in Newport News uh, called Lifehouse with Pastor John Ware. So if you know of someone that's looking for a Sunday church, you got, they, they've got to check that out. We're hoping to be there for their launch service. Uh, they're actually starting in Regal Cinema, right where this church started 11 years ago. And so he's sending out people on his plant team to go visit various churches that they want to be in relationship with and have partnerships with. And so a lot of his uh, leaders have been coming through. And so one of his leaders came for the first time when, when David preached. And, uh, and so he found me. He was here again. He's, he was actually here for three weeks in a row. So he found me last week and said, I came. And he said, into the end of the service, I thought, that's their youth pastor? That guy, he's amazing, right? It was so good. So he wasn't planning on coming the next week. And he said, I got to come back and hear this next guy, Steve Ruggiero, that's going to preach. He's not even on staff. He's one of their elders. So he came back for that. And he said, unbelievable. These are, these are just people that God has here, right? That that are so gifted. And God has touched their lives. And they share that with us. And we're just, we're favorite of God to have them. So this is for Steve for that message that he shared. Come on. So good. I'm, I'm, half, I'm halfway through Steve's, the one he did on Everest and the principles, the seven principles that he talked about with Basecamp. right? It is so good. So if you've not heard those, you've got to go onto the website and get those off of the, uh, off of the podcast. So Hey, so let me, let me just talk a little bit about last week, because this is part two. So if you weren't here, I just want to lay the foundation for where we launch into what we're going to be talking about tonight. So how many people, too, just a little moment of confession. When Chris opened up the altars, how many of you thought to yourself, if I go up there, I might be able to get one of those Cokes and no one would see me? Who? Come on, I know, I know, see, ya. Yeah. I know. I see some hands going out. I appreciate your honesty. Appreciate your honesty. People are like, I could just go kneel. And then someone was reaching for it. And that's when Chris said, take your hands off it, right? And the prophetic in you, right? You got caught. I know. Yeah. God was on to you. So, all right. So I opened last week with this, this statement. I want to share it again tonight. My goal in life is to be miserable and to create misery. I hope to one day disappoint those closest to me to betray their trust and to wound them deeply. One day, I will forsake, honor, and serve only my own impulsive desires. I want to live a life controlled by addiction, imprisoned by emotion, and held captive by compulsive behaviors. I intend to perfect the art of creating the feeling of sadness in other people. I'm going to live my life in such a way that tests other people's commitment to forgive. I will completely abandon the virtue Of being principled, right? Whoever sat down and wrote those those statements out to say, these are the goals that I have for my life, right? No, these are aspirations, tragic aspirations that no one would ever have. And yet I can tell you in all of my years in pastoral ministry, I can tell you that many people have said in my office, and these are the words that describe their life. They didn't set out to get there. Their goal wasn't to become this person, to have these tragic circumstances, and yet this is exactly where their life has landed. It might be that you know people, or you've known people, and you've just thought, what happened to them? It seemed as though their life was all together, and then it was as though just in a moment their life was completely undone. How did they get there? This whole series that we're calling Let's Praxis is exploring different parts of our discipleship model. And one of the parts of our model is about 24 virtues that we believe really speak to the character of Christ that should be replicated in our lives. And one of those virtues is this idea of being principled. The definition is there on the screen. Finding a basis for our morals and ethics in scripture. It means that as we study God's word, we find that he has expectations of us, things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. And we're gonna get into into that next week about these different categories of sin, but just suffice it tonight to say there's things we should do and things that we shouldn't do, morals and ethics. And those things become like a wall around my life that protect me and keep me safe. A principled person is a person that stays within the confines of the principles of God's word. Does that make sense? And then last week we talked about how the devil, what temptation does, he tries to lure us outside of the wall of those principles, and that gets into the territory of what we would call compromise. And whenever I get out in the area of compromise, something happens to me. A seed of rebellion gets planted in my heart. We talked last week about how the enemy, the devil, he doesn't care so much about the indiscretion. It's not so much about the moment or the thing that's done. It's what that act does to me. And what it does to me, it plants a seed of rebellion in my heart. And so a person who's just one compromise after another, after another, after another, over time, all of those seeds of rebellion, guess what? They show up. And that's how people end up. It seems like they've got their life all together. And then all of a sudden their lives become completely undone because all of those seeds at some point are going to bear fruit. So let's talk about those seeds. Somebody say the trap. The trap. trap. Say it again. The trap. So let me, let me show you this picture right here. Look, look at these hunters. Come on, right? You recognize those guys? I know, because they're a little bit smaller than they are right now. So there's Derek. Look, there's Derek in the middle. There he is on the left. So they are 12 and 11, right? They slaughtered some birds that day, and we ate good. Now, when we kill quail and pheasant and chucker and things like that, Vanessa, she won't eat it. Right? She's like, if it's not shrink-wrapped off of aisle 24 at the grocery store, right? she's like, I'm not having anything to do. Now, she'll cook it, but then we're the only ones that will, will eat it. And so when, when, they were, when they were in elementary school, I taught them how to hit a moving target with a Daisy BB gun and a gallon jug of milk that was empty. And we would go out to my mom's house out in the country, and I would toss that gallon milk jug up, and they would track it, and they would shoot it. And just, here's some BBs right here. Some of you grew up in the city. You don't know anything about this stuff. Come on. I was going to bring the BB gun. I was like, eh, maybe not so much, right? right? It's tiny, right? It's little. They're just, they're elementary school age kids. And here they're, they're able to hit this moving target with this one little BB because I knew that one day they were going to be old enough to go do this. Right? They were going to be able to, to walk in the field with me. And when they were young and they were too young to really carry a shotgun and shoot at birds and things like that, they would just walk with me in the field just to get a, a sense for what it was like to see the dogs work and how to be acclimated to that environment. And then the first shotgun they got was that one on the right there, this little single shot 410 Rossi. And, and, and then we barred this 22, I mean this uh, double barrel 20 gauge shotgun from a, a buddy. Of mine. See, look at those smiles, right? You want to make a boy smile, you put a shotgun in his hand, right? I and mean, his face is going to hurt from grinning. And, and we get out there, right? They're young, and, and, and there's a guy that comes, and you rent the dogs, and you know what he's thinking, right? Here we got some kids again, right? So we get out there, and next thing you know, birds are just dropping all over the place. And he's like, these kids can shoot. And I'm like, I know, right? And so, so but they're not shooting at that bird with this one little BB, right? They're not. Because birds move a lot faster than an empty gallon milk jug that your dad is throwing into the air. And, and, and that milk jug has a, a really determined trajectory. Like you know what it's going to do. But birds are darting in and out. They're far from you. And so with those shotgun shells with birdshot, and the shot's actually even smaller than that, BB, you have hundreds of them. And sometimes you still can't hit it, right? So, so what if we had said, what if I had said to them, now when we go out here and hunt these birds, you only get one of these little tiny, teeny tiny pellets. That's it. And you, you got to hit it with that. Good luck. Because you're never going to do it. Because we understand in our physical life, we're going to resist that, op, that, that, that possibility because when something is small, when something is small, it, it has less of an impact. When something's little in our physical life, we're conditioned to believe because of our experiences that, that, that it, it really doesn't make much of a difference. And so, so we have this mindset, right? All right. Hence these. Look at all these sizes of Cokes that you can go to the store and get. It's amazing. When I was a kid, you had a two liter and a 12 ounce Coke. Those were your only two options, right? Now, maybe if you were in somewhere like out in the country and they had an old school soda machine, you could get a 16 ounce bottle of soda. Remember that Sprite Coke or Pepsi? Or if you were really in the South, you got some RC Cola, you put some peanuts in there. How many? Anybody here? All right. Everybody's from New Jersey tonight. Okay. All right. Look at all these sizes that you can, you can get. And, 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 Part of the reason why there's so many different sizes of these sodas is because people want choices. And the reason why they want choices is because people are calorie conscious nowadays, right? right? Because they say, if I open this, I'm going to drink the whole thing, right? If I open this, I'm going to drink the whole thing. But because this is smaller, it's going to have a less of an effect on my life. You track it with me, right? And so people, they want choices. They want cute little, right, <laughs> little things like this. Now, I'm not going to open this because this is water only in the sanctuary, so I'm going to resist every urge that I have (laughs) to open this up because I know what you're thinking, but I'm not going to do it. That's why I'm not going to pick up the Mexican Coke in the bottle because that's my all-time favorite drink in the world, right? Okay, 350 milliliters, that's 12 ounces of Mexican Coke made with pure cane sugar. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to sit this right up here just for me, just for later. Look at this big boy right here, right? This, some of you that are on a diet, you're, you're closing your eyes right now, right? Because this is right out of the pit of hell for you. Because you've given up soda. And here's my pastor taunting it in front of me like the serpent in the Garden of Eden in the beginning of time, right? And, 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 and you know, if you were to open this, you, you might drink the whole thing. And because it's big, it would have an impact on your life that this would not have. We can keep going with illustrations and examples of how when something is small in our physical life, we're conditioned to believe, because it's true, that the smaller it is, the less of an impact that it's going to have. It's less significant, and that's a normal part of our physical experience. Now, this is why we're calling it the trap. Because the devil wants you to believe that the same thing is true in your spiritual life. See, so many of the ways that the enemy lures us into a place of compromise is that he engages us in something that seems to be true because it has a truthfulness in our physical journey. But the spiritual life, this this part of us that you can't see that really makes us who we are, the kingdom of heaven, in some ways it's upside down from this physical world. And the reason why Matthew 13 is in the Bible is that Jesus is trying to say to you and he's trying to say to me that even the smallest of things in your spiritual life can have a huge life altering impact. Listen to Matthew 13, 31 to 33. 13. Now we're going to start with these two parables here because these are the ones that kind of tell us what Jesus is trying to talk about through the rest of the parables. Verse 13. That is why I use these parables, for they, they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. No, 13. I'm going to, never mind. 31 to 33. little dyslexic. 31 to 30, not 13. 31, all right, 31. We're gonna do 13 in a minute. 31. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. Do you know how big a mustard seed is? It's as big as a BB. That's it. A mustard seed, it's this big, right there. Tiny, small. He says, a mustard seed planted in the field, it is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. A mustard tree can grow to over nine feet tall. Listen what it says. It, birds come and make nests in its branches. What's that about? Jesus is saying, when you begin to do things in your life, let things come into your life that don't belong. It has a way of attracting other things that shouldn't be there either. Yeah. Verse 33, Jesus used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she puts only a little bit of yeast in the three measures of flour, it permeated every part of of the dough Jesus is saying to you and he's saying to me don't fall into the devil's trap don't fall into the trap of believing that with something small it's insignificant don't fall don't into don't, don't fall into the trap of believing that just because it's little because it maybe it's a small indiscretion that it it's not really going to have an impact in your life it's true with the bb it's true with soda it's not true with compromise Every time I give in to temptation, a seed of rebellion is planted in my heart. And that seed, it might be little, but it's like a mustard seed. And it might grow into a nine-foot-tall tree of ugliness that's going to attract all kinds of things that don't belong. And then the next thing you know, I'm the person whose life has now become undone with tragic circumstances, even though I never had tragic aspirations. That's the trap. So what's the truth? Somebody say the truth. Now, this is just a side note in case you do a little homework and maybe you read through Matthew 13. This is where it was going back to verse 13, which I'm not going to read all of that, but I want to reference it, that in this chapter, Jesus talks a little bit about why he uses parables. And it can be a little bit confusing because when you read it, it almost seems like Jesus is saying he uses parables so some people can't understand what he's saying. And I would say that that's true to some degree, but there's a reason for that. It's not because he's callous. He uses parables so that people who are spiritually minded, it makes it easier for us to understand. But that same parable for the person who's not spiritually minded, where when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about the difference between people who have the mind of Christ and don't have the mind of Christ. He uses these parables so for people that aren't spiritually minded, that it's harder for them to understand. And Jesus isn't being calloused, he's being gracious. And the reason why that's being gracious is because the Bible also teaches us that God holds us accountable for what we know. So God does not want to give us revelation before we're ready to be obedient to that revelation because if he does, I'm accountable for it. So he's going to hide some things from us because we're not ready to walk in obedience because if we're not ready to walk in obedience, he doesn't want us to be judged by the knowledge that we're not ready to walk in. So he uses parables, right? It helps those who are spiritually minded and who God wants to bring revelation to and then people who are not spiritually minded. It's, it's a sign of the grace of God. And then when you get to some of these verses, it it depends on the translation you use, it almost implies that that, that because he's doing this, it says that they can't turn to be healed by him. And it's not because God doesn't want them to be healed, it's because they've chosen to plant these seeds of rebellion in their life to the point that they've rejected Christ completely, and because of that, they're outside of the healing that God is ready to bring to their hearts. So let's look at some of these parables. Because in these parables, you find the truth That gets us out of the trap. The planting parables. The planting parables. We're going to start reading in verse 18. All this is going to come out of Matthew 13. Verse 18 says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable of the farmer planting the seeds. It's just water. It's not coke in there, I promise. (laughs) The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. We just talked about that. The evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Because see, he doesn't want good seed to get planted in the soul of your heart. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. Listen to what he says in 23. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even a hundred times as much that has been planted. something that's small, something that's small, and our spiritual lives can make a big difference and have a major impact when we're thinking about our spiritual life, there are times when we have to abandon the reason of the physical realm. And this is part of sometimes of what Jesus is talking about when he says that to be a follower of Christ, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And part of what he means there is that you've got to be willing to let go Of things that you've seen, that you've believed to be true, of your natural experience and walk by faith. Meaning that you've got to embrace some principles and truths that seem foreign to you. But the spiritual world and the physical world, they share some things. But mostly, they're upside down from one another. And in my life as a devoted follower of Christ, the spiritual part of me, the spiritual part of you, the smallest of things can have the biggest of impacts. Listen to verse 24. Here's another story. Jesus told the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. And when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. And the farmer's workers went to him and said, sir... The field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds and tie them into bundles and burn them and to put, them, and to put the wheat in the barn. The smallest of things can grow into the biggest of circumstances. and my spiritual life, the devil wants me to fall into the trap that small is always insignificant and meaningless. And Jesus says, do not get stuck in that trap. The smallest of indiscretions plants a seed of rebellion in my heart. It plants a seed of rebellion in your heart. And at some point, those seeds are gonna grow into something ugly inside of me. The truth protects me from the trap. Even something small and seemingly insignificant can be life-altering in my future. Every time I choose to do the right thing, no matter how small, a seed of righteousness is planted in my heart. Every time I choose to do the wrong thing, no matter how small, the seed of rebellion is planted in my heart. A seed of righteousness or a seed of rebellion? The devil comes to you and says, you know, it's just a little sin. Think about Bob who lives across the street and all the terrible things that he does. This is your sin and this is Bob's sin. It's okay. It's just a little bit. It's not going to matter. This is his trap. And it's not just his trap with sin. It's his trap with righteousness. He comes to you because you make a decision in January to read a chapter of the Bible every day. And he comes to you and you're late for work. And he says, you can't read a whole chapter. You only have time for a couple of verses. It's really not going to make that much of a difference. So why do it? He says to you, you can only go to one service this month. You can't go to all four. You can only go to one. So why do it? Because it's just a little bit. It's not going to matter. He talks to you about your finances. You can't give what you'd like to give, and you can give this much. And he says, well, why would you even do that? Because it's not really enough to make a difference. See, he's just not at work in your life and in my life with the trap of trying to get us to do the things that we're supposed to do. He doesn't want the seeds of righteousness to get planted in our hearts either, which is why in that beginning in that parable, of the sower, it says he comes and steals the seed because he knows the truth that we're talking about. That even the smallest of things, if it's the seed that comes from God, when it plants in our heart, it's going to grow. And it's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce more knowledge and more understanding. And this wall called my principles is going to get bigger and taller and thicker. And it's going to be harder for him to cast that temptation over. He doesn't want you to plant the seeds of righteousness in your life. He wants those seeds of rebellions to go in. He wants them to go in deep because he knows that they are going to grow into that mustard tree and all of those other things that are going to gather and follow suit, they're going to come. This chapter is so powerful in scripture. Look at verse 44. All of these are connected. It's one massive teaching on this idea that even the smallest of things in my spiritual life can have such a huge impact. He shifts a little bit in his teaching when he gets to verse 44. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who on the lookout for choice pearls, when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Jesus is saying to you and to me through these other parables, this idea of planting and, and, and things growing, it takes time, it takes time, right? And then he jumps to these These two parables of the treasure and the pearl, and and, and what he does, it's so creative. He condenses life into a moment. And he condenses life into a moment to create a scenario where where you and I know exactly what we're supposed to do, right? Because who here wouldn't do what they did, right? Who here wouldn't do everything that you needed to do to buy that field, to take this treasure? Right? If, you're, if you've given your life for the searching of pearls of great value and you find the, the, the one finally of greatest value, who wouldn't do what the person in the parable did, right? It's, it has a self-evidencing quality. And Jesus drops these in the middle of these other teachings because he's trying to help us understand the human experience, that it's not like the experience of the treasure and the pearl, but the truth is the same. We've got to take this revelation of the treasure and the pearl and bring it into our real life and say, you know what? One day I'm going to have the experience of the treasure. One day I'm going to have the experience of the pearl. And it might take years of planting the seeds of righteousness and years of not planting the seeds of rebellion but I'm going to keep planting what I'm supposed to plant and not plant what I'm not supposed to plant because I want to have the joy of these stories here. He he says to you and he says to me, you can have the feeling that they had, but you got to do the work to get there. And so much of this life, we want it tomorrow. So much of this life, we want it today. And with our spiritual life, so much of our journey, it takes time. But if in that time we plant the things that are supposed to go into our hearts and not plant the things that aren't supposed to go in there, then beautiful things begin to grow inside of us and we come into a season of life where we're like the person who finds the treasure and finds the pearl. I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up here. This chapter, I'm telling you what, it's so rich. He gets serious. He gets pretty weighty here at the end. Listen to what he says. Verse 47. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. And when the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore and they sat down and they sorted the good fish into crates and they threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then he looks at all of us and says, do you understand all these things? That's a big question, isn't it? Because he's just taught a whole lot. But the essence of what he's teaching us at the end of the day is just a simple idea. Little things make a big difference in our spiritual journey the smallest moment of compromise, or even the most seemingly insignificant thing that is good that I must do? Which seed are you planting in your heart? What future do you want to have for yourself? Because the choices that I make and the choices that you make day in And day out, determine the kind of seed that gets planted in me, and it's going to determine the kind of fruit that comes from my life. Do do I want to be the tree where things that should not be gather, or do I want to be the kind of tree that bears so much fruit that my life actually becomes a blessing to the people who are around me? Listen to this verse in Galatians 6 7 and 10. Don't be misled. Apostle Paul, picking up on all of this, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's one message because it's one author. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from that spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about the kinds of seeds that you plant into your life. Seeds of rebellion, seeds of righteousness. They're all going to produce an incredible harvest that's going to determine the life that you live, the destiny that you reach. And one of these seeds, one of these seeds is going to determine your eternity forever. Stand with me. There's only one thing that you can plant in your life that determines whether or not you're going to be in heaven or hell for all eternity. Just one thing. And it's a seed of of a decision to make a vow of devotion to Christ. That's it. Just one thing. Just one thing. Your forever, your forever is dependent upon that one choice. For me, that was in December of 1990. And I was a young adult and living just outside of Richmond. And that's the day that I made a vow of devotion to Christ. And on that day, that decision got planted into the soil of my heart. And my forever was determined for me for all eternity. But between then and now and the rest of my life, I decide the direction that my life is going to go. By the choices that I make, By the seeds that I plant, day in and day out, and day in and day out. We're going to go back into this this song, and there's people that are standing up here. And I'm just, I'm telling you, if you're here tonight, and as you look back into the story of your life, you cannot find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, find that moment tonight decision deep into the soil of your heart so that you never have to wonder again for the rest of your life what's waiting for you after you breathe your last. And then when you make that decision tonight, make another decision that you're going to get involved in a church, whether it's here or somewhere so that you can walk with a community of people so that the principles that you need to discover can become the wall of protection around your life that you're desperate to find so the seeds that get planted in your heart are only seeds that are going to produce the righteousness and the character of Christ. Father, we pray that tonight that we would be a people that get out of the trap and into the truth. And the kind of seed that's getting planted deep into our hearts, it's going to be the seed that has a righteous return. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.